and welcome to the 8th Melbourne AWS User Group Podcast. My name is Arjen Swartz and today we'll be discussing all the exciting and less exciting announcements from October 2020. And to do so, I'm as usual joined by my and everyone's friends, Jean-Manuel Becker and Guy Morton. Hello everyone, very happy to be here again. Hi everyone. Thank you for joining. For those of you who follow this podcast and somehow haven't heard about it yet, the reInvent registration is open. So we briefly discussed this when it was announced. This year, reInvent is a three-week extravaganza with five keynotes spread out over those three weeks. And best of all, of course, it's completely free. You can enjoy it from the comfort of your home. Yes, the, the only cost is the investment of your time if you actually want to go and, and uh, enjoy all of it over the course of three weeks or if your employer will allow you to do, th- do so without sacking you. So that might cost you money. You can do that at night. You can uh, do it live at true. 3 a.m. if you want. That's very true. <laughs> Yeah, so don't sleep. But I will watch. I will watch the rebroadcast, like they say. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other nice thing. Is everything will be available in three different time zones, so you should always be able to find some time zone that suits you. Yeah. Of course, I'm not sure how it will work with the spoilers for things like the keynotes. Pretty sure that we will have heard about all the announcements before we start watching the rebroadcast. Yeah, it would be on Twitter somewhere. Yes. So what's your prediction? Have we got any predictions about what, 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 what's going to be the big announcement there? So obviously the, the, the really important announcement is what are they going to do to top Deep Composer? <laughs> what AI kind of a machine learning um, device are they going to invent this year that's going to make everyone go, oh my God, that's incredible. I want one, yeah. Yeah. So... Well... It it should be obvious. I think it's been spoiled by Ring's announcement of their flying uh, indoor drone camera. Right. Yeah. I'm hoping for a deep drone. A deep drone. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Um, what about what about a uh, what about a pet? Like a you know, people had chia pets, right? You grow the seeds on them. Instead of that, just have a, like a pet that's you know, learns, I don't know, you, you, I don't know how it would work, but just a deep pet. To, to comfort you during isolation, is it? <laughs> to have some, some friend. A, a deep companion, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wrong. It does sound a bit wrong, doesn't it? So the other thing before we get started is a bit of follow-up. Last week, we, or last month, we were wondering how Lex would deal with <laughs> Guys, fair shake. Of the sauce bottle, yeah. (laughs) Friend of the show and frequent listener Chris um, actually took a stab at trying to figure out what came out of that. And it wasn't the most accurate (laughs) I've ever heard. No, that was it was funny. So he just ran the whole uh, podcast through three legs, right? And dumped it all out. Yep. And uh, yeah, it gave us it gave us a, about a half an hour of of, of titters, didn't it? Uh, just little little amusements. Yeah. But did you uh, did did you uh, make a record of your favourites? Well, I kind of uh, like actually many of the fair shake of the sauce bottle ones, like a fair shake of the sauce. Yeah, bottle. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair shake of the sauce spot. That's right. That was a beautiful one. Um, 
Australia need to enable the clown front worldwide. So the clown front's coming. Um, thought, thought it was already here, actually. So very good news for our Friends Club front in New Zealand. That was another one. Um, That's probably my French accent. It should have changed legs to French. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if you look at Lambda itself, you have a side to be able to visualise your stepchildren to know where you are. That was another <laughs> translation. Don't know what it was thinking there. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure it will improve over time. All right. Next one is the uh, finally in Sydney Amazon EC2 G4DN bare metal with uh, NVIDIA T4 tensor and um, yeah, 95 vCPUs that's 48 cores and then 100 gig networking throughput and 1.8 terabyte local NVMe. Pretty nice box to play with. Expensive, but nice i'm sure yeah did you check the price no i didn't no, no, no. It's, it's it's a 10.17 dollars an hour right us yeah that's around ten thousand australian a month yeah when you buy on demand yeah so it's uh, pretty pretty good so i had a look i wanted to build one uh, <laughs> but <laughs> i had a look at the spot instance and the spot is not there. I mean, the spot is there, but at the same price. So they don't do spot on it. Yeah. To compare the i3EN metal, where you have 70% uh, reduce on, on the spot. So, yeah, you can't really use that right now and, unless you have a deep, deep pocket. Yeah. Yeah, but isn't the spot just a side effect of it being completely new? So nobody is running it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have, yeah, people using them and then, then, then there'll be some spot hours, presumably. Yeah. Um, so you can use that for ECS, for EKS. Um, they support the DN instance and the DN bare metal instance. So yeah, they are in Sydney. You can click on it. You can build an instance with it and build your own hypervisor if you want to with this kind of uh, magic uh, GPU and CPUs. Nice. Yep. yep. Cool. Sitewise. So now that's in Sydney. Um, so Sitewise is an IoT service to help you collect data basically from uh, devices these sort of use cases, if you've got a factory with full of, you know, IoT devices collecting data about your machinery or something of that sort, it's it's uh, designed to sort of help you do that sort of collection, storage, um, monitoring, visualization. It's a solution for that. So, and that's now available in Sydney and, and Singapore. Yep. And that means it took less than two years to arrive in Sydney because <laughs> it was announced at reInvent. <laughs> Well, that's good, right? Less than two years. Yeah. Bargain. And then we have the RDS snapshot export to S3, also now available. So this is where you can take snapshots of your RDS instance in Parquet format, send it to your S3 buckets, and then have all your other services play around with the data, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's um, the, the, the name snapshot export um Export makes people think probably it's just normal database snapshots, but it isn't. So yeah, apparently it's twi- uh, two times faster to export and six times less storage on S3 than the text format, CSV or other things. So you can export RDS Postgres, MariaDB and MySQL and Aurora Postgres as well um, and MySQL. And um, I had a quick look and um, yeah, you can basically go, go to the snapshot section in the console, click action and export. To S3, you pick the S3, you pick the role, and it's done for you. Um, a bit of a cost, though. It's uh, oh, it's cheap for 100 gig. It's uh, 1.3 cents uh, per gig, uh, but 
it take in consideration the size of the snapshot, so not the size of the data exported. So if your database is, you know, one terabyte, you will export every time one terabyte. It, uh, and if you want to re-export it, even if you select a small database, it will export the one terabyte. So for 100 gig, it's around $1.13, so it's not a big deal, but um, every time you need to pay for the full snapshot size of your RDS instance to export. So even though this, the storage format's actually quite efficient, you're still paying for the size of the RDS the f- storage. The full snapshot. Yes. Right, yeah, right. Correct. Okay. Because you look at the snapshot. and But the good part is you don't have any impact on your database. You don't have any performance yeah. issues. It's just looking at the snapshot. Yeah, you re- read the snapshot, export it. But an incremental snapshot usually is much smaller, right? The first is 100 gig, and then the rest are probably the 5 gig or the 10 gig of data change the export feature will make you pay for the whole lot every time. And that's because, yeah, because with that format, there's no way of sort of doing an incremental, yeah, because it's not a snapshot like a normal EBS snapshot or whatever that we think you're used to talking about snapshots as being. But if you if you had a look, if you had to do it yourself um, with an ETL system running your database, you will have a load on it. Uh, if you want to run EC2 instance, restore it, re-export it. It's a really complicated system to do it yourself. Yep. To have a parquet format to fit your data lake so i think it's a, it's a very good product yep yep definitely fills a niche i'm sure there's a lot of customers who would be grateful for that yeah and lastly we sort of skipped over it but you can now use the amazon lexbots with australian english in your amazon connect setup as we just discussed though i don't know exactly how useful that will be to get accurate recordings of what people are saying. Yeah, it might be it might be better in that context than than it than it was trying to absorb us because because <laughs> we're probably yeah I don't know maybe yeah we're just a bit more idiosyncratic than than a normal conversation might be. Although I don't know anyway. Let's have a look at the serverless announcements. So we got two pretty big ones that are only in preview at the moment. The first one is. Lambda extensions, yep. which seems to be quite a cool, interesting feature. Um, it basically allows you to run a second Lambda function in the time that your other one starts up or shuts down, and it keeps running doing the thing. It just starts and ends earlier than the other one, so that you can do extra logging or other things you might want to do. Yeah, I'm sure, guy, that you have your opinions on how this can also completely be replaced <laughs> and. Well, I, no, I don't have. I haven't really thought of any doomsday scenarios, but I, I will just. I will just note that that people who know more about this than I do have basically said, "Don't use it." So there's a couple of use cases for it, as you mentioned, something that you want to have happen before your lambda function starts up, like um, pulling secrets from secrets manager and putting them in uh, environment variables, log shipping that happens at the end of the life cycle of your lambda. Those are the kind of use cases that are that this is kind of was initially, I think, designed to address, and that's why all the integrations that are that are kind of there right now are all, um, you know, they're all data dogs and and those sorts of things. They're all things that are kind of uh, providing metrics and such about your function, or you know, logging those those sorts of those sorts of things, or, or security type stuff. Uh, so um, it is possible for your Lambda and your extension to to kind of communicate with one another via disk or local ports. So they can, the, the two threads can kind of um, converse um, or share data, but that is probably where things could get ugly uh, as well. So, you know, 
um, use use at your own risk. I think it's probably the. It may be great. Like you may have an awesome use case for it, and and I'm sure someone will find awesome things to do with it as well. But it could be misused as well. Yeah, and aside from all the misuse, it's important to note that it will use the same resources as your main Lambda function. So if you've got a extension that uses a similar amount of memory as your regular Lambda function, you'll have to pump up how much you give your Lambda function. Yeah, your compute and your networking and, and your, um, your memory allocation. And uh, for the pricing, is it will add probably, you know, maybe 100 milliseconds at the beginning and 100 milliseconds at the end. So you will pay a bit more to run um, the, this uh, extension inside your Lambda because the pricing will, will appear as one. Yeah, and, do, and depending on how much work it's doing at, at those different times, of course, yeah. it could be more than that. Yeah, so it's in preview. Um, I don't know if it is in Sydney or not. Uh, yes, it is. It is. It's in preview in, in Sydney. Yep. But one of the extension, and that's a link with the next preview, is a CloudWatch Lambda Insight, um, which is available in your uh, Lambda extension. So Lambda Insight will uh, help as well to have more information about your Lambda. And you have a lot of languages supported, uh, .NET Core 3.1, uh, Amazon Linux, Corrado 11 and 8, and Node.js 12 and 10, Python 3.8 and 3.7, and Ruby 2.7 and 2.5, and it is in Sydney as well. Yeah, and that's implemented as a, as a Lambda extension. Yes. Another news for Lambda, uh, you can use La Lambda APIs through AWS Private Link. So we know already that you, know, you can have Lambda running inside your VPC, but now you can call your Lambda and your Lambda API from inside the VPC. So everything basically goes to lambda.apsrc2.amazon.aws.com for the APSRC region will, will go and stay inside your VPC. So even from on-prem now, when you call a Lambda through the HTTP API, all the Lambda information, variable and all of that will be kept into your direct connect into your private VPC. So um, a, a good security improvement to run Lambda in private link. Yeah, it's everywhere now. Yeah, and another $30 a month to run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 built on data transfer, I think, isn't it? Private link, it's largely. Uh, it's a uh, it's ten cents per interface per no, sorry, it's one cents per interface per hour. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. So it's it's, it's very quickly, um, you know, expensive because it's an ENI living into your account, and you have a DNS basically route fifty three uh, private zone will redirect you to that endpoint. So it's a DNS trick. It's a you know, split DNS trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. You so you're paying per per endpoint per hour plus data. It's a cent a cent per gig. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But you can you know apply policy on it. You can put security groups. You can do a lot of good things to to. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's neat for sure. It's a, it's a neat solution for for a bunch of different use cases for sure. Just got to be aware of how much how much data you're gonna pump down it and etc. Yeah. Check the pricing page. Uh, we got Event Bridge uh, Dead Letter Queue. Um, I like that. Um, Event Bridge, I think, uh, is going to be more and more prevalent. Use the same as CloudWatch Events API, but uh, you know you can do much more things in it. Um, you can become your kind of serverless uh, event hub for for your all enterprise across account and across your your environment. So that's pretty cool. And so they added a, an SQS queue now uh, for the letter queue with retrial, and so you can fine grain your the the number of retrial you have, the number of event. Um, so it's a good addition, I think, to have that. 
and the dedicated queue has obviously cloud watch alarms where you can feed yourself and go back to Event Bridge to alert you that there is a problem with your queue. So interesting. Yeah, neat. Um, I think we saw Event Bridge announcements last month too, and a similar. Uh, it's obviously something that they're 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 working they're, they're improving on all the time. I think it was Jason Schemas for for Event Bridge. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely as you say a, a core piece of um, the the serverless infrastructure now. Um, that's really grown, as you say, from CloudWatch events. It's really grown into a, a quite a sophisticated um, product in its own right, from being sort of just a utility thing that you could do something with to, to something that's really quite core to how how to build on AWS now. And in multi-account strategy as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. Uh, step function now support Amazon Athena. Uh, service integration, so you can monitor basically what's happened with your Athena queries, like start query, stop query, get query execution. So you can chain a bit more of ETL or you know verify if your ETL worked and if your Athena data is is, is correct at the end, um, and orchestrate basically your your data ingestion. So um, interesting. Step functions keeps getting new 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 integrations too. It's a great. Um, I'm using that at the moment actually to solve a bunch of problems. It's uh, really again a really key key piece of um, of kit. Yeah, and more and more. I mean, I was listening to a podcast as well. Someone in the US was saying that even now, if you have one lambda, maybe it's a good idea to just put a step function on top because you don't know how that lambda is going to evolve. If you need to do some more logic or more error handling, st- stick them into step function instead of trying to uh, do the error handling inside lambda. So in- in- interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you're a visual learner, it's a- it's awesome. Because <laughs> you've got the nice little diagram with the little bu- yes. bubbles that light up too, you know. And the green light or not. That's yeah. right, you know, everything's green. Awesome. That means it's good. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think I th- I mean, the interesting thing about things like set functions is how it, it, it you know, the more you sort of break down the problems that, that we're solving, um, the simpler it beca- it becomes to, to kind of, you know, put those solutions together. That's actually a, an awesome sort of thing, I think. You know, it, 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 it does make it easier because the world is so complex, right? And a lot of the problems we're, we're working with are so complex. It's really good to have these kinds of... Um, expressive frameworks to kind of that kind of help you organize your thoughts and visualize along the way how things are supposed to go like it's it's you know if you put a new developer in front of a step function to say well this is what it does yeah and you can look at it and go oh okay so i understand the logic of that right whereas if you set them down in front of a you know a four page of code that did the same thing they'd probably need you know a bit more time yeah yeah uh, yeah absolutely so yeah, it's all it's all good. Containers. Well, it must be time for you to get excited, Ian. Yeah, it's not a super exciting month to be honest. Yeah. Um, okay, EKS now supports Kubernetes version one point eight, mm-hmm. which means it is actually um, very close now to the latest version, which is one point nineteen. And obviously, because extra security, things get added and they wait for a certain stable release before they introduce it. This is about as close as we'll ever get. But 118 means that 114 now is not going to be supported because I remind you, AWS just supports three versions. And so the fourth version is going to be dropped and that's going to be dropped on the 8th of December 2020. So you need to upgrade, otherwise AWS will upgrade for you to 115. So be proactive do upgrade 
get the latest version. There is new features attached to it. Cool. Um, the other EKS news that's interesting, um, assuming nobody really cares about it being available in a local zone. In LA, no, not yet. <laughs> is that you can now set um, a service IP address range, which is basically only, again, interesting for very limited use cases, mostly to do with having multiple EKS clusters running or multiple Kubernetes clusters running and they need to communicate in some way. So I had a look at the requirements. So you need to be a 10 slash 8 or 172.16 slash 12 or 192.168 slash 16. Um, and it cannot overlap with your CRDR range from your own VPC. So it's interesting how you need to kind of pre-allocate now IP ranges as well for your EKS clusters in advance to plan for the VPC uh, and the routing you want if you want communication with on-prem and stuff like that. So Yeah, but only if you want to use kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's optional. Where, but uh, And that you can do it only at creation time. You can't do it retroactively. Yeah. And you need 118. <laughs> all the new features are always only available in the latest. For ECS, um, interesting, it's a, again, CDK update. Um, Amazon ECS extensions are now available in the CDK as a developer preview. So this will make it easier to build your ECS stuff in using CDK. Again, it's still in preview, so just play around with it and we'll probably report back once it's actually available in GA. Yeah, apparently the extension uh, are very easy to use in a couple of lines of code or even one line of code. You can add a, a load balancer, you can add uh, CloudWatch logs, just a couple of lines of code. And uh, at the end, you have a thousand lines of code in CloudFormation uh, deployed. So um, very easy for a developer to, uh, to build stuff quickly with um, uh, Amazon ECS extensions. And the CDK in general does all that stuff. So yeah, it's a, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Beanstalk, that's your... Your zone guy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not not super, you know, pumped about the. This is a relatively smallish announcement. I would have I would have thought uh, support for Amazon Linux two based Docker multi container app application support. So the multi container applications has been around for a while. So really, they just um, introduced Amazon Linux two to that to their oh, Docker right, platform. Okay. So it's a pretty pretty minor announcement. I would have thought. Yeah, but but um, you know, good for. Good, good on them. It's not quite a nano, but it's not all that exciting either. The AWS load balancer controller might be a bit interesting though. Mm -hmm. This is an extension of um, and renaming of the ALB ingress controller that I think we may have discussed a couple months ago. Yeah. The biggest difference now is it also supports NLB and you can point it at an IP address. So you can use it with Fargate, for example, instead of only containers running on an instance, which is nice. Yeah, and you need EKS um, Kubernetes one eighteen as well to have this feature. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, there is the improvement with AppMesh as well, who support cross-account sharing with ICM Private Security Certificate Authority. So a couple of months ago, we had uh, ICM Private Certificate be able to be shared through RAM mm -hmm. uh, in August. Um, so now AppMesh can consume that um, PCA 
across account and then enable TLS between connected devices without you changing your application. So very interesting to be able to leverage App Mesh to do that uh, with your private CA. Shall we have a look at the uh, EC2 and VPC section though? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think the biggest announcement here is probably the Nitro Enclaves. Yep. These were first announced uh, again at reInvent last year. And what they basically do is allow you to take your EC2 instance and then you can split part of that off into a secure section. Um, you do that by using an enclave image, which can just be spun, uh, spun out from a Docker image. So you can easily convert that. And then you allocate resources to it, say two CPUs and four gigabytes of RAM. And then that can only be used by that secure section. Obviously, this is aimed completely at secure workloads or other things that need to be secure. And the other interesting thing that comes with it is the example use case that AWS built for it, which is a long requested feature, I suspect, of being able to use your ACM certificates directly on an EC2 instance. Yeah, you just have to do it inside the enclave to make it happen. So it's, yeah, it's one of those announcements that everyone saw the headline and thought, oh, ACM certificates on EC2, whoop, whoop. Yay! And then they read the rest of it and went, oh, actually, that sounds a bit hard. <laughs> yes. So it, it's available for M5, C5, R5, T3, I3, A1. So it's, it's not really a container. It doesn't have any persistent storage. Uh, you can't have uh, operator access in, into that enclave. Um, it's a very lightweight Linux operating system running and has an independent kernel um, and his own encryption keys to be able to verify the uh, attestation, cryptometric attestation to prove that this is the right enclave. And then so you have a secure channel for the two um, kind of applications to talk to each other with through VSOC. So yeah, uh, have a look at the, the blog. There is a couple of examples there. And um, the, um, the example given for ACM is to run Nginx basically in your box without having to give the certificate to that Nginx or storing the certificate into that box. The certificate reside inside the enclave and then get pulled every time the Nginx need to be able to be refreshed or, or, or have other certificates. So that way the certificate is secure. Nobody can, even the root account can't, can't get it. So interesting. Yeah, definitely an interesting thing. And the other thing, because we haven't, brought them up yet today. Uh, one instance type that is not supported for this is all the Graviton instances. It is for all the Nitro ones, but only the Intel-based ones. So that will either come or they assume that the ARM instances are already secure in a different way, but then you should probably be able to run the same things anyway. So hopefully they'll be rolling that out. Um, so it'll be support for HTTP2 and gRPC. It's interesting um, in a way. So HTTP2 um, is just standard, faster HTTP connections with some extra bits uh, included. Um, gRPC, on the other hand, is more of a protocol or way of communicating between microservices. So the nice thing with that is the ALB support for it would basically mean that you can use the ALB 
as a way to um, direct uh, um, communication between your microservices. So it could serve as an example as a completely alternative to something like AppMesh. Okay, yeah. Because instead of having a mesh that talks directly to the other uh, microservices, you can make it go through the ALB and have that um, directed so you don't have to deal with the mesh. So you will go in and out of the cluster, the EKS cluster or something, through, every time to the ILB, instead of saying through the Envoy proxy between, between services. Yeah, so it makes it a little bit slower, but for certain cases it might, um, yeah, it also lowers the complexity because it's a lot easier to point things to one place instead of managing a full, full mesh. Yeah, uh, and you can use the ILB features like stickiness, uh, load balancing algorithm, and TLS termination as well. Um, so that that's the advantage of uh, using that product. Yeah. Compute optimizer, enhance EC2 instance type recommendation with EBS metrics. So that's probably was something was missing into the um, uh, compute optimizer because it was just looking at compute and memory. Now you can look at um, what's happening in your EBS and if your IOPS or if your EBS bandwidth is a bottleneck into your instance and recommend the right sizing instance to go to a, to a high bandwidth EBS for them for optimized or to uh, increase your IOPS or make your uh, SSD GP2 a bit bigger to have more more IOPS on it. So um, yeah, good, good addition to the recommendation. Yeah. Um, Side-to-side VPN supports health notifications. That's also quite nice. Um, it was something that was kind of missing often that you, you could set up your VPNs, but then you had to build your own monitoring around it to make sure that it was actually up and running all the time. So it's good to see there's some automated notifications. It just goes to the personal health dashboard, but at least it shows you, hey, I'm only on a single tunnel at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the Global Accelerator launch port overrides. So Global Accelerator, it's a you know unicast IP across the world who can forward that traffic to uh, different endpoints and load balancers and stuff. But uh, in the past, you have to uh, have the port matching. So if you were listening on 443, you had to listen on 443 on the other side. Now you can do a port override. So you can um, make sure that well, you don't have the port too much. So you can listen to 443 and then send to uh, 8443 or 443 for them port. A couple of rules are you can't have port range to overlap. Uh, you can't use duplicated endpoint ports. And the, the health check, which is interesting, still use the original port. So um, if you listen to 443, the health check will listen to 443 to make sure that uh, your traffic is uh, ready to be received by, by your endpoint. Um, and the security group must allow the new port access, obviously, as well. So a bit of improvement, like using almost the um, uh, the global accelerator, like a load balancer, a little bit with a, a port override forwarding. Let's move on to DevOps now. Yep. So a couple of CloudFormation things. First, we have increased limits on a bunch of quotas, which is good. You can now make ridiculously sized CloudFormation templates. Do you think it's a side effect of the CDK? Because CDK create huge templates, right? And then uh, is it a side effect that they had to upgrade the CloudFormation kind of service to be able to fit the generation of code? So yeah, you can have massive um, S3 uh, object uh, up to one meg for your CloudFormation template, which is massive. And 
manage up to 500 resources. Yeah, um, I wouldn't want to put that much into a single template. <laughs> but if you did with the CDK, you don't see it. <laughs> I think you'd still you'd still notice. You'd have to work reasonably hard to make a one meg CloudFormation template out of out of CDK as well. I think. But you have now, yeah, two hundred parameters. That's a lot of parameters. And before you had sixty and two hundred mapping as well, and then two hundred output. Look, I think I think it's good. I mean, you know, as Arian says, I mean, you don't want to make anything that big. Um, it makes yeah. If you if you're really defining that many resources in a CloudFormation template, there probably is there probably is an opportunity to step back and 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 break it up a bit. But you know, like it's easy to say that, but I'm sure that there's somebody out there who's got a genuine use case where it actually doesn't make any sense to break it up, and and they really they, you know they really need that those sorts of resource limits. Um, so you know, look, it's it's all more capability. It's like it's like all the things they do with Lambda, right? You know, they make it be able to do a lot more than than perhaps you know um, you know it did at the outset. And uh, you know, sure, some people will abuse it um, and do stupid things because they can. But you know, I guess that's all part of that's all part of the fun. And then they have to hire us to come and help them fix it, right? <laughs> so that's good. It's all good. It's all good. And maybe we can just use the other new um, announcement, CloudFormation Guard, which I think we've mentioned when it became a card in preview. Uh, it's now GA, but it's basically a tool you can run to see if your templates are compliant to the rules you define. Yeah, so that's things like encryption enabled on, on buckets and things like that. Yeah, it would be nice if you could also say you can't have templates with more than <laughs> this many resources. Well, you probably do that in code build, right? So if you put that that, uh, that in your pipeline with code build, you can do all the verification for you and reject your build, right? Um, if the template is too big. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Just truncate it. <laughs> that's That's a punishment. Uh, what do we have? Well, there's one that we need to mention because otherwise we'll have an angry listener. So for Chris Coretto, <laughs> we've got an announcement about the quarterly updates. So we'll just throw these out there. Get your Java compatible runtime here. Yep. Very minor versions. I didn't even look what is new, but obviously it must be awesome because it's Coretto. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, there are some other nice announcements here, which would probably be wrong to skip over completely. Synthetics has gotten a, uh, an update to uh, enable you to record user flow scripts for canaries. Oh yes, I like that. Yeah. So that so that, that's that's neat. That's uh, so you can basically you know click around on a on on your your um, app um, and record a a. Um, user flow that you want the canary to test for so it'll fail if you know click this button click that button all of a sudden the thing that's supposed to appear didn't appear grafana the x-ray data source plugin that's that's neat um so you can pull your x-ray data into grafana um with that to be able to visualize better yeah okay yeah what else have we got um porting assistant for dotnet's now open source so you know if you've got dotnet code and you want to port it to dotnet core the porting assistant's open source now so get amongst it get off get off those microsoft licensing fees and uh and join join the rest of us the water's fine come to come to the linux party uh, did you see as well the customization for session manager shell oh yeah yes that was always an annoying feature of me to type bash and yep. launch everything that so you can automate that now to make sure that the experience of the user when they're logging through session manager is uh like what they were logging before yep 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 
And then end of support migration program as well for Windows servers, uh, for people who know, have migrated uh, 2003, 2008, 2008, or two application to a more modern type of app. It's a tool now, it's just an MSI, you can download, it's open source, um, and you can analyze your app, package it, and then try to run it onto a, a bigger, uh, more secure machine. Um, you still need .NET 4 minimum, and so it's from 2003 service pack to 32 bits. Uh, 2 gig memory and 10 gig of space uh, on your disk to be able to analyze the app. Never tried it, but uh, I think it's worth it now to um, have a look at that application for people who want to migrate the old stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Image Builder also got a got a new feature to be able to um, to share AMIs across multiple accounts uh, in different regions. So you used to have to manually copy AMIs across multiple accounts in different regions, and now you can do that out of the box. Yep. So uh, the console or the CLI. Which mm-hmm. is- yep. You want to go to security? Yep. Let's look at security. Um, AWS Config has 15 new sample conformance pack templates that you can apply. So there is a plethora of it now. So you have cybersecurity, you have well-architected, you have NIST 800, you NIST 800-171, FedRAMP, HIPAA, uh, use it. It's cool. It creates AWS config rules. Uh, they all manage and, you know, you don't have to use an external product. You can use native tools to be able to um, prove that your account has been compliant uh, along the way. Yeah, very cool. Um, AppSync um, has got support for WAF now, so you can protect your GraphQL APIs with, with WAF, the same as you can do it for um, API Gateway APIs. Yeah, that was missing. Yeah, people people had to do CloudFront and all the top of things before. Now it's all integrated, so very nice. You can protect against SQL injection and cross-scripting out of the box. Yep, and all the other stuff that WAF can do. Yeah. Yeah. An improvement with AWS Shield as well. Um, that was feature. Sorry, that feature was provided only to AWS Shield Advanced. Now it's available to everyone. So it provides you a global and per account event summaries uh, of the activity on your account for infrastructure layer attack, uh, layer three and layer four. You still need AWS Shield Advance if you want layer seven. Uh, and I'll remind you that the, the product is a, is a paid product where AWS Shield is a free product. Um, so it gives you that, that global view across your account of where the DDoS attack could happen to you. Yeah, you also need Shield Advance still for a more granular view or to get the details of things. Yeah. Um, S3 object ownership? Yeah, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, that was such a pain. So so S3 objects, if they're written to your uh, to a bucket that you own, but they're written by a different account, that that account could own the own the object. So this lets you set up um, a feature that you can basically automatically assume the ownership of any any objects that are put in a bucket that's in your account. So that will solve some gnarly problems for, for people that uh, that can otherwise arise. Yeah, we had to put bucket policy in the past to enforce that automatically and, and reject if it was not um, giving the ownership. But now it can be done from by default. Yeah. Uh, Elasticsearch using SAML. That's, that's a big one, I think. Um, Elasticsearch always has been kind of vulnerable type of product. Uh, first running in public with no authentication and then running in private VPCs now, and now you can have SAML, so you can have the whole plethora of um, identity provider to give you access to uh, Elasticsearch and Kibana uh, with Okta, Ping, OneLogin, 
Active Directory, ADFS, and the lot um, to secure your Elasticsearch service. Yeah. Did you notice one SSO service that is not mentioned on there? But <laughs> <laughs> well, it supports uh, one login. <laughs> Pink. <laughs> <laughs> It supports services that you can now hook into your AWS SSO, but apparently it doesn't look like it completely supports it out of the box. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I suspect you can still set it up, but they didn't mention it for some reason. Yep, yep. Interesting. Uh, Data storage and processing. So obviously the big news here is that after talking about it for half a year, (laughs) RDS now has the Graviton2 instances support officially out. Yep, in Sydney. Yep, including in Sydney. If you run a modern version of MySQL, Postgres, or MariaDB, please um, investigate switching because it can save you a lot of money and basically comes with no downsides because it's a managed service. And they say up to 52% better price performance. So, you know, for free. Why wouldn't you want that? Just go and get it. Get some. And Amazon Aurora is coming soon. That was the same sentence they were using six months ago when they announced the preview. <laughs> so it's coming soon. You're so cynical, JM. <laughs> I'm sure it's really. I'm sure it's really coming soon now. Maybe, maybe reinvent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a good one. Um, in the same vein, Elasticash also now supports the Graviton two based instances. Uh, like RDS, it's only the M six G and R six G. Uh, because it's that makes the most sense because they're the memory focused yeah. ones. Now that's not available in Sydney yet, but um, but it's coming, I'm sure, coming soon. Yeah, and again, same thing as with RDS, no downsides for you. So yeah, investigate, try it out, and possibly wait out until your reserved instances are no longer uh, keeping you locked into the Intel hardware. Awesome. We love Graviton. And a very interesting one that um, highlighted something I wasn't really aware of is Amazon Aurora enables dynamic resizing for database storage space. Yeah. And that's the first time we see that, right? Yeah. So basically, Amazon Aurora would always scale up with your usage. But if you deleted something, it didn't free up that space. So your scaling was one directional and expensive yeah it just kept costing you more money so now the big change here is it will also scale down yeah so not only you can go to r128 terabyte that was the announcement mm, last month i think not um, not terabytes no tebibytes tebibytes but now it will reduce along the way if you don't use it that that's uh that's rare in cloud right to be able to go up and down storage usually it's one way hmm. very good yep elasticity yep so maybe they no longer need to be able to scale up to 128 anymore. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will. And that will be available in all Aurora region by the end of November. Nice. Cool. A uh, couple, couple of announcements on Lake Formation to support Active Directory and SAML uh, provider for Amazon Athena. So Lake Formation is really a product getting pushed by AWS. There is more and more integrations. So there is a couple of uh, features this month. Uh, about the SAML integration, about being able to do cross-account database sharing as well to share your, your information across account and not having this silo kind of lake. 
and there was uh, the EMR integration as well. So um, with like formation, mm -hmm. which is GA, um, and uh, again having the someone integration, so you can secure your data across Redshift, S3, and EMR, all with like formation as, as well. So uh, yeah, interesting product. And um, EMR has also gotten um, Graviton two instances. So uh, now provides up to 35% lower cost and up to 15% improved performance for Spark workloads with Graviton 2. Yep. And again, that's a managed services. Uh, you don't care about where you run on. So use um, Graviton instead of Intel. What you can do as well, and, and I remind people, EMR is a single AZ product. You need to run in the same subnet into your one AZ. So now AWS for people who run EMR as a multi-node master cluster allow you to have uh, a spread plasma group, as they say. Um, so that's uh, enforce the fact that the two different nodes or three different nodes are going to be different racks and different hypervisors to uh, reduce the, the chance of failure of or multiple failure of your master node. So you need uh, version 5.23 for that. But I think that's a very good addition to try to make EMR a bit more resilient. It's still a single AZ product. A lot of people forget that. Cool. Thanks for the reminder. Well, you can build stuff. I mean, we build that for clients as well with you know step function and Lambda function will take a snapshot and rebuild your cluster into another AZ and everything, but you will have it on time. So, um, yeah, EMR is a fantastic product, but in it, it is a single AZ right now. Let's have a look at the AI and ML stuff. Yep. Quite a bit of SageMaker. Yeah, a lot of SageMaker. Yeah, but it's all the different SageMaker products. Because, as we all know, SageMaker is just a word they put in front of half the AI and ML services. <laughs> a bunch of improvements. Uh, so SageMaker Autopilot creates fitter models faster and with higher accuracy. So cost savings, basically, and improvements there in how well it works. So Autopilot's the, the sort of the um, product that will kind of take a stab at solving your problems without you having to kind of really understand what it's doing it's doing right so it's it's kind of coming up with a model that that will solve your problems without you having to really uh like it'll analyze your data and sort of figure it out for you is that that's that's yeah well it, it, it put it through many many models it's got already and then try to rank them and choose the best one and change the parameters for you and uh, it will tell you oh that's the best model for you use this one so yeah Cool. So it's basically better at doing that now. It's going to do it faster and 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 twice as twice as more twice as accurately. Awesome. That's good to know. Up to. Up to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe a hundred and one percent higher accuracy most of the time. But hey, that's okay. <laughs> in theory. Amazon SageMaker Studio. Uh, you can run that now inside your VPC. Uh, and obviously you can control now the ingress and egress internet through your VPC if you have a firewall or other things like that. So that's make the product much more secure for people who want to use SageMaker Studio notebooks. Uh, and another announcement as well, you can use your um, own custom images uh, of the SageMaker Studio notebooks uh, with your own ML frameworks on it, uh, TensorFlow, MXNet or PyTorch um, pre-configured for your users. Cool. Also, a couple of improvements to Kendra for those who run Confluence server themselves. Oh, that's neat. Um, you can now hook that up. Yeah, good. 
But possibly more interesting is the custom data sources. So you can now put whatever you want yourself in there. Yeah. And this is especially interesting um, if we go for spoilers based on that we were a bit later with recording this, that Kendra probably shows up in next month's final mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So with Kendra, you can integrate with S3, RDS, SharePoint, OneDrive, ServiceNow, and now Confluence. And I, I can tell there's a lot of people who always complain about Confluence that you can't find anything on it. So maybe mm-hmm. Kendra we're going to be able to help yeah. that. Yeah. With a, a new, a better search feature, and then you can have the, your custom uh, as well data source. So yeah, very cool. Hmm. Coming, coming to Sydney soon. Is it, does anyone know what the expensive? What the, is it sort of expensive to to have Kendra? Do you know how's it? Don't know how it, how it works. Okay, it is not cheap. But on the other hand, if it works as as advertised, you easily make that money back. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's it did. I mean, I was interested in it when I when they announced it. What last year, sometime was it? Uh, yeah, it came. It was announced at reInvent. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's um, you know, it's the kind of thing I guess that that you probably need to have some sort of idea about. You know, what like you need to kind of try it really in a way, don't you? Before you know whether it's gonna yeah. gonna gonna help you. Uh, there is a free tier, so uh, you can get started for uh, with it for free for up to seven hundred fifty hours for the first thirty days. So it's a, one of those sort of first month free type things. For the developer edition, yes, and then it's two fifty an hour. But the enterprise edition is seven dollars an hour. Hmm, seven dollars an hour, yeah. And if you have more than you know uh, five hundred thousand docs, if you go to a million document to organize, then it's becoming eleven. Or ten ten dollars fifty an hour and and etc. So every five hundred thousand uh, document to uh, analyze is three dollars fifty per hour. So um, yeah, can become very very expensive. But you know, at, at the same time, it's a state of the art uh, searching engine on your data. Yeah. So it might might be quite a few grand a month if you if you get carried away. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, recognition. There's a there's a nice announcement there around now now detects PPE personal protective equipment such as face covers head covers and hand covers on persons in images yep so uh, there's no surprise that they they probably put that feature in uh they've been busily beavering away on making that feature um uh, available because i guess there's two cases for that isn't there one put your damn mask on And also just checking that people's got people have got masks. So um, yeah, and uh, not not a chin guard, but more a mask. I cook. <laughs> that's that's right. Or one of the, one of those people who has their nose hanging out. Um, <laughs> d- yes, uh, um, it's got a chin guard. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's it, I, you know it's one of those things we sort of obviously you know recognition's amazing at uh, well facial recognition in general is is amazing um at how accurate it it, it is at, at picking um you know picking the same face over and over again and so forth but you know you do sort of think with this you know the pandemic and everyone having to wear masks how how sad all the people who have been loving having all this stuff uh recognition stuff working um how sad they must be because all of a sudden all their facial recognition must must have stopped working i wonder if there's any sort of algorithmic analysis that can be done that can match the same person wearing a mask twice so if you know if you come in today jm with your mask on and tomorrow with your mask on 
can it possibly tell that it's that it's that it's still you like if you wear a different mask or you know different colored mask or so there's a note in in the documentation that i went to read and they say that amazon recognition pp detection does not perform facial recognition or facial comparison right yeah yeah and cannot identify the detected person so it's just like do you have your pp on or off we don't know who you are and that, that keep the privacy, I guess. Yeah. So it's basically taken like, obviously, you know, facial recognition is done by using maths and points on your face, right? Yeah. Your eyes, the nose, the corners of your mouth, those sorts of things. So obviously it, it loses most of the data points that it used to, to make those calculations before. Uh, it's only got eyes and basically nothing else. So, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I can't really blame recognition for that. On Tuesday, we had lovely weather. I had my mask on outside, sunglasses, and a hat. Nobody could recognize me. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Other cool stuff. So, still staying a bit in the AIML space is Deep Racer Community Races. So, this is basically we all had fun doing in person races with Deep Racer, but that's not really possible anymore. So now you can set it up for your group of friends or company or whatever, meetup, that you'll do the same race and have a small competition against each other virtually. Cool. All virtual. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't come up with one for Deep Composer, though. Like, have a, have a jam, community jam. Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're just asking you to take the lead on that. <laughs> okay all right okay no worries yep well we will do we'll do a couple of amazon connect ones uh well lex bots using british english dialect oh how very awfully awfully proper excellent i'll have to think of some some english (laughs) yeah i'm sure I, i wonder if that well i wonder if the british one does um cockney rhyming slang there you go you know, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Um, announcing AWS budget price reduction from uh, two cents to zero. So now AWS budget is free, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I found I didn't know understand why it was you had to pay for that product, but now there is as well uh, AWS budget action, who allow you to put um, action on your budget if you reach the threshold you set up uh, or the monthly target um, uh, prediction. And you can block people like by disabling their roles or you can put an SCP on top uh, of your account to block anything happening. Or you can even shut down EC2 and RDS instance um, if you want to. Um, So a much easier feature now to be able to control the spending in your account if you want to uh, really be tough on budget. Yeah, cool. It can it can be used for sandbox account and stuff like that, but you give a you know two hundred dollars, three hundred dollars to spend for your engineers, and uh, usually they forget they leave EC2 instance running all week. Um, so um, it's uh, it's it's a good way of enforcing that and reset the account. You can maybe even launch AWS Nuke and destroy everything in the account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, must be fun. One that I found interesting as well. Um, it's the service that we still, I'll again put out a reminder to people, if you have an outpost in your garage and want us to play <laughs> with it, please let us yeah. know. Um, 
But aside from that, you can now use um, Resource Access Manager or RAM with Outposts. So this basically means that the stuff you build on your Outpost, you can now share into other accounts. Yep. Neat. Which is neat and yeah, allows you to do even more with it. Um, CloudFront Origin Shield. That's um, that's kind of neat. Uh, so CloudFront obviously is a CDN, so it uses the edge locations of the AWS network to um, cache your your um, content. Um, so the Origin Shield is a is like another cache back from the the edge locations. That's a shared cache between um, d- different regions that sits in sits between the edge locations and your origins, basically. So it's a another caching layer, effectively, which is neat. Yeah, and we have as well uh, SNS uh, first in first out. Um, first time SNS can do that. Um, we used to be able to use SQS to do that but now you can you know use sns to uh, make sure that uh, the, the messages are come in and out in order um a bit more cost though to compare the traditional service uh, this this one is 39 cents per million where the first one sns has a free tier um and then two cents per gigabyte of the payload but can be very useful for you know bank transaction logging stock ticker flight trackers uh, news broadcasting and stuff like that uh, to be able to receive that through uh, and send that to sns yep and with sns you can also set the um, origin number for sms messages oh yeah that's pretty cool that's 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 neat because you know when you receive a text to someone you are very suspicious now who sent me that and uh, now you can register certain numbers uh belonging to your company and then uh, the message will be received from the same number so you know create some type of confidence and trusted experience for for the consumer when they receive uh, an sms from you presumably presumably you have to prove prove that that number belongs to you before you can use it i can't just put your mobile number on my no, outgoing no, sms no. messages no <laughs> hopefully not yeah. <laughs> Oh, I might try that. <laughs> and then the SES as well, a new um, uh, option on that, uh, going to provide a list of unsubscribe headers um, and organize automatically uh, the subscription management capabilities for your email. So you would have unsubscribe links added automatically and then at the same time you will monitor that list and then update that list and you can add your own uh, and subscribe to that list as well. So um, making SES much more uh, usable uh, for unsubscribe with following the law in Australia. Yeah, I know we've had um, huge amounts of problems with the customers, uh, you know, having, well, basically, well, misusing, probably not misusing, not, not intentionally misusing, but I think the ability to have those unsubscribe links automatically attached, I think will remove some sort of administrative overhead that maybe not every customer is sophisticated enough to be able to yeah. put in for themselves. Um, and, and yeah, look, I think it's anything that kind of protects what's left of email's reputation as a viable medium for communicating between humans, um, is, is a good thing. Um, because yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's still an important service. I must admit, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, I would have predicted that email would be dead by now, that everyone would have gotten so sick of it. They would have, um, insisted that it stopped. Um, but it's still here. And, um, yeah, so anything that kind of, I guess, um, 
improves the quality of, of, of the email that's in your inbox is a, is a, a, a worthy a worthy thing. No, that's good. All right, are we going to swing on to the nano candidates now, Arjen? I think so, unless one of you has anything else. No, no, I think it's been a, a long month of not that interesting announcement, to be honest. So I'm really waiting for reInvent now. There's some good things in there, but yeah, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're not they're not flashy. They're kind of, um, they're very workmanlike, the big announcements for this month, I think. They're not, they're not sizzle, they're all steak. Anyway, the nano candidates. Guy, would you like to kick off? Well, I'm just, I was just trying to find my, my, my list of them that I had, but um, look, I think we've, we've got, we've got worked, WorkDocs got a major, major up, upgrade this month, and I think, I think it would be wrong to not call it out that you can now have dark mode on iOS uh, for your WorkDocs app. Um, I think you made the joke, Arjen, that um, the, the two customers that are using that will be very glad. I suspect they are both in the WorkDocs team. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, considering dark mode was announced June last year, so for iOS itself, and then came out in September, <laughs> um, it's taken a bit of time to put another... CSS <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure there was more work to it, but it always seems like why does that take so long? Yeah. What what was what was your favorite? Uh, you know, I think you had a favorite. So I was thinking I might just um, make our friend Chris unhappy and go for the um, Coretto announcement. Minor quarterly <laughs> updates. Yeah, an open source package don't really need announcements. It should just happen. Yeah, you should just you should just be able to assume that, shouldn't you? JM, did you have one that you'd kind of? Yeah, I, I love your world dog with iOS, obviously, uh, obviously as well. Um, but the the other one I found, you know, so small. It's the OpsWorks configuration management to now support the new version of Chef Automate. Um, so hoo-hoo, you can use twelve, seventeen, thirty-three now. Uh, in in OpsWorks, um, not really a major feature in enhancement, really, just a tiny, tiny update. And it's OpsWorks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so, you know. Yeah, there was a few of those sorts of uh, announcements, I think, which which all kind of rate a special mention. There was an upgrade to Amazon MQ uh, that went from uh, 5.15.13 uh, no, so it went from 5.15.12 to 5.15.13. Um, so that was that was pretty big. And I think the other one which you called out before, um, JM, but you made it sound a lot more interesting, was the AWS budgets price reduction, uh, where you can save two cents. Uh, and that 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 struck me as uh, as pretty awesome as well. So reducing the price for budget days from two cents to free. Uh, oh, it's per day, so it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But still, you know, two cents a day is still not very much. Six, what, 60 cents a, a month you save. Yeah. It's 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 pretty nano in the scheme of things. Yeah. yeah. But price reduction is always good. So we love it. <laughs> You'll have it. 60 cents in your pocket's better than, <laughs> better than in Jeff's pocket. Yeah. I almost feel like they just got rid of the costs because managing the money was more expensive than what they got from it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Putting it on the bill, calculating it was chewing up more more CPU power than than they were earning from it. Yeah. 
And with that, we've come to the end of the show. Just a quick reminder, if you have any comments or questions, you can always contact us in the user group Slack team, to which you can subscribe at melp.awsug.org.au slash Slack. I know that rolls off the tongue. Don't worry, there's a link in the show notes. Or you can find us on Twitter as at awsmelp. And of course, I want to do a usual shout out to the user group's wonderful sponsors for all of 2020, our gold sponsor Enabler, as well as our silver sponsors AC3, CMD Solutions and Do It International. I also want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, JM and Guy, thank you very much for joining me again. Always, always happy to be here, Arjen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Arjen, as always, for having us on your, your 